0: You're listening to Rintual and Sermon.
1: Hour three of Rintual and Sermon. Half the show down. A couple more hours to go. One more hour to go in Calgary before we turn it over to the big show. Jamie Dodd in for Scott Rintual. Of I, am, of course, am Karen Sermon. Jamie, do you watch trailers when they come out for movies? Like, are you one of those people it's like, okay, if you see a snippet of it, you want to go find like the full trailer on like IMDB or anything like that? Are you one of the I mean?
0: I mean, I if it depends on the movie, but I enjoy a good trailer, right? It pops up mm-hmm. in your Twitter feed. Yeah, it depends on the movie for sure, but I'll give it a watch.
1: Yeah. And if it's really anticipated, like we haven't seen movies come out in a long time. I remember when the trailer for Black Widow came out prior to COVID. And that, of course, is the Marvel Universe one uh, with Scarlett Johansson. And then it finally came out again. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, movies are coming back, and yeah. it's kind of exciting to see. And when I saw like the James Bond trailer again, which is coming out in November, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm super stoked for that. Um, <laughs> the trailer came out today for Amazon Prime Videos, all or nothing Toronto Maple Leafs. And remember when this was announced uh, prior to the season happening? It was like, okay, of course it's the Toronto Maple Leafs that they're going to be following because it's the Leafs and the world revolves around Toronto and the Leafs. And it, but the fact it was called All or Nothing, it was like, well, we know where this is going, and the Toronto Maple Leafs kind of went the way of where the title is. It wasn't all. It was nothing.
0: It was very, very much nothing. Very much nothing.
1: So it drops basically right before the season starts. All five episodes will drop on Amazon Prime on October 1st. Are you going to watch this?
0: I'm not going to sit here and say that I'll watch, what is it, five episodes, that I'm going to sit there and watch all five episodes, but I will at least watch some of it. This this is a, I mean, this is kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity here, Karen, because remember how united everyone else in Canada was when the Maple Leafs. Blew a 3-1 series lead to the Canadians yep. in the first round of playoffs. Like, remember yep. that that sense of joy and everyone's cracking jokes together. We're all having a good time. We all forget about the things we normally disagree about and argue about. We just kind of come together and have a laugh at the Leafs' expense. This is This is an opportunity to relive all of that fun and all exactly. of that joy. <laughs> That's really what this is, right? Because it's great. We know how it ends. It ends in the funniest <laughs> way possible. So I will definitely be checking it out.
1: Well, that's the thing, and that's the last episode of it, right? So it's going to be funny seeing all the lead-up to it, being like, oh, finishing first in the North, yes, and then having the 3-1 lead and then collapsing, and just see how Amazon paints that picture in these five episodes. I'm going to be tuned into it. I think it's going to be, one, a primer to the season, and two, like you said, we can all unite in the Toronto Maple Leafs' um, demise and things that go wrong for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Sorry, John from Vancouver. I know that hurts you to say, but... uh, If you had to do another team this season and you had to pick one (laughs) because I was thinking about this, like what is a team you'd want to see all or nothing, all or nothing like the Vancouver Canucks, the Calgary Flames. Is there a team in the United States, maybe Seattle Kraken? It's not really all or nothing. That'd be just kind of a documentary of their season. But if there's one team where you're like, okay, I can get I can get around an all or nothing thing. What would you do? Well,
0: I mean, the Kraken were on my list for sure, just because I think just purely from a storytelling perspective, you know, seeing behind the curtains, of a team in its first year in the league would be really fascinating right and that would be access to the players but also access to the front office the coaches everything about the organization i think that would be legitimately fascinating i mean it is kind of hard to get away from the canucks just because Mm -hmm. there has been no shortage of drama around this organization (laughs) forever basically And i mean we got a little taste of it again this morning with the Elias petterson comments so I think the Kraken would be number one on my list. If we want to talk about a team that's maybe feeling a lot of pressure going into this season, how about the Vegas Golden Knights, right? And they still have the cachet of being a new team, obviously of playing in Vegas. So you've got a ton of different interesting opportunities with that angle to incorporate. But this is also a team that, you know, they've really gone from, wow, I can't believe they're already this successful to, hey, clock's ticking and you got to find a way to win the ultimate prize here so if if, I, I think that's kind of a crucial element to this formula is finding a team that actually has a substantial amount of pressure going into this season and I think Vegas ticks a lot of boxes there
1: Uh, Torian Langley says, I'm going to watch to see when the Canucks came back from COVID and destroyed the Leafs. I'm sure that'll be a part of uh, the Amazon Prime's uh, conversation, but it's more about what happens at the end. I think like Colorado would be interesting, especially when we found out from Nikita Zadorov about kind of how Nate McKinnon is in practice. Like, I want to see if this is real and maybe with the cameras on, it wouldn't be as true as what we see when the cameras are off. But that'd be interesting for me. Like you said, another, another team that has very high expectations, all or nothing. They were the cup favorite going into the playoffs. They were one of the cup favorites prior to the season. Nate McKinnon's going into the final year of this deal. Like it's all of these things that you think to yourself, okay, yeah, this could be an all or nothing. If anything, like if you want to have the same, we can rally around the Toronto Maple Leafs falling. I think both Canucks fans and Flames fans would be would like to watch a Oilers one now. <laughs> maybe not because it's like the Oilers and you don't want to see all the Conor McDavid love that you would probably get in this. But don't you think it would end in the exact same way, misery yeah, and laughing? I-
0: I mean, it's certainly, I think a lot of Flames fans would sign up for that because there's a very good chance that it ends in heartbreak <laughs> for the best. Oilers as well. So, I mean, really, you're, man, the chances that you sign up for this and it ends on a happy note are so slim, right? <laughs> they are so, so slim. So you're kind of setting your your team up for failure. And again, just to get back to the Leafs, it is so, like, even the title, All or Nothing, is so great. It Everything Holy about it, it just, it could not be funnier. Uh, If you are a Maple Leafs hater, we got this uh, text in unsigned to the Calgary inbox, 960, 960. Don't you find it embarrassing that every other Canadian team's fans barometer of success and satisfaction is the Leafs losing in the playoffs? I I take it this is from a Leafs fan. And to your question, no, I don't find it embarrassing. I find it hilarious and delightful. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go.
1: It's like 50-some-odd years and counting, and we still didn't do it. No, I love it just because of the, the arrogance that comes out of that city. And we can talk about the fact that when the Leafs do well, it's all we get shoved down our throats, Jamie. And you know this. You could go to any of the sports channels in our country. And what are they leading off with the first 15 minutes if the Toronto Maple Leafs are in the playoffs? Toronto Maple Leafs hockey. They did the same thing with the Toronto Raptors, and that was fine because I was a Raptors fan, so I didn't care about that. But it's it's the whole pomp and circumstance that comes around Toronto and just the the idea that everybody in this country just wants to watch Toronto Maple Leafs highlights for the first fifteen minutes or talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs for the first fifteen minutes. Well, and they don't and they don't. And I will say
0: for me it's not so much about the coverage per se, because I get it like there's more Toronto East, Maple Leafs fans in the country than any other fan base like that's just they're running a business I get it for me it's more about the wildly out of whack expectations that yeah. the fan base and I, and I and you could say certain members of the media put on the team year in year out I mean just you know we had this conversation when they lost but the amount of hype that that team was getting midseason people were acting as if they had recreated created a modern day nhl super team right that this was they had cracked the code of the salary cap and they were you know trailblazing new ways to build a team in the nhl and they lost in the first round and that's just inherently funny like that's just <laughs> funny to me it, it's much more about the expectations and the undue praise that the Leafs get than it is like, of course they get coverage. I get that. I don't really have an issue with that. But the the uh, the hype, the ability to get excited about a team that you know it's fine, it's a good team. But the ability to convince themselves that you know they're watching one of the greatest teams ever assembled—that's where the comedy really is for me.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think it's uh, it's entertaining. I'm going to tune in. I think October 1st, I said, was when it comes out. It's something to watch prior to the season leading up uh, this comes in. Washington-Pittsburgh would be interesting to have an all-or-nothing because their core star players, Primes, are right at the very end. I would love to see Pittsburgh, honestly, because I'd love to see the ins and outs of Sidney Crosby. We don't know a lot about him. He's very quiet. He's not on social media. You don't see him. Like, we'll talk about Elias Patterson. You know, he's pete has been posting what he's been doing this summer. He was traveling Greece on Instagram. He saw his stories. He's been working out. It looks like his wrist is 100%, is 100% better. So you know what he's doing. But Sidney Crosby, he's he's kind of this enigma. Like We just know he plays hockey, right? I don't know. Yeah. Does he stay in Pittsburgh in the offseason? I assume he does. Does he go back to Cole Harbor? I don't know. Does he? We know nothing about his personal life. It's just so quiet. To have some sort of camera insight into Sidney Crosby's just... Just a little bit more. I want a little bit more of Sidney Grosby because is there anything? Does he say a bad word? Like, I don't even know. Yeah, right? He just seems like the perfect star.
0: Pittsburgh is a great, is a great uh, nomination for the team you want to see under the microscope like this. Washington as well. I mean, we know, you know, similar story, right? In that stars towards the tail end of their careers trying to get one last shot at the cup. At least, you know, if Alex Ovechkin, you have an extremely watchable, extremely entertaining main character that the series (laughs) could focus on, right? Like that's a guy who is going to keep you entertained one way or another.
1: He absolutely is. This one says, uh, the same texture says the New York Rangers due to their, uh, notoriously fickle and impatient owner. Oh man. Like James Dolan. One, I don't know how much he'd be involved in it, but what happened last year and how he stuck his nose finally in, the New York Rangers, uh, which he had left, you know, he was, it was all about the New York Knicks for him. He's like, I'm going to, you know, focus on them. The New York Rangers were an afterthought. And the way that he turned that around this past off season and sent a note to the league, basically calling for George Paros firing. Like, I do think it could be funny to see, and you've got a new head coach and you've got some superstars there. And it would just be, I, I think the New York Rangers could be quite entertaining to see as
2: well.
0: Yeah, the Rangers is a nice one. Uh, I like this text from Adam, the former bath guy. The only reason I'd watch All or Nothing is to find out who's telling Austin Matthews that his mustache is a good idea. <laughs> That's a great question. That is a great question. I hope we get the answer to that. Maybe they sit down and do some uh, an interview about his style and grooming choices for Austin Matthews.
1: Yeah, exactly, and see what he chooses to wear in the GQ magazines. Uh, a couple of texts have come in, Jamie. Just we should hit back on this because we haven't really talked about it you and you and I since the start of the show. Someone said, "Are you concerned with Elias Pedersen's comments in a Swedish interview?" And for those that didn't know, he did an interview with. Uh, Ufe Bodine, and he was basically just asked about his contract status because of the fact that there are negotiations going on. And Rick Dollywell did tweet out after this saying that they're pretty far apart right now. Uh, We don't know what the holdup is, whether it's term, whether it's money, but still... He does say my agents are doing all the talking and then they inform me about what's going on right now. We're not in an agreement, but I'm not worried that we're not going to solve it eventually. Both parties are happy to find a solution. He's not worried, but this is the comment that has everyone kind of like, "Uh uh-oh, here in this market. He was asked on what kind of deal he'd prefer, and he says he wants to stay in Vancouver now, but I also want to play for a team that's winning and has a chance to go far into the playoffs every year. I feel like we've got a chance to do that next season. If we had... If we have that chance when my next deal expires, I don't know. I just want to play where there's a chance of winning. And to answer that textures comments about, am I worried? I, no, I'm not worried. You're going to no. see Elias Patterson play for the Vancouver Canucks next year. And if you're a Vancouver Canucks fan, I actually kind of want to hear this. Because I don't hear it as, I'm going to take my talents to Edmonton, or I'm going to take my talents to South Beach, like the Bron I take my. I hear this and I say, this is a guy that wants to win. And he wants to see where the organization is when his next deal is up. And I think that's totally fine. I am fine with players taking their future into their own hands and saying, yeah, if we're not where we're meant to be, then that means I'm not where I want to be in my career.
0: It is, to me, it's not concerning at all, right? Because this should already have been baked in to how the Canucks looked at their relationship with Elias Pettersson, right? They should already have been assuming, if they didn't know explicitly, that they have to do then they have to put a winning product on the ice in order to keep Elias Pettersson happy. That should be your baseline Mm -hmm. starting point when you have a player of Elias Pettersson's caliber on your team. And just to flip it around, you know, the idea of should Canucks fans be worried? Should they be concerned about this? How startling and kind of alarming would it be if he had said the opposite, right? You know, if he had said, yeah, I I, I don't care if we ever win. I just want to stay in Vancouver. Like that (laughs) would be, yeah, sure. It's great because he wants to stay and, and... You take the pressure off from that perspective, but wouldn't that be a much more concerning thing to hear from the player you're relying on to be your number one center and to be the best player on the team, really, the franchise cornerstone? So, yeah, Elias Pettersson wants to win. This should not surprise anyone. There is pressure on Canucks management, but that pressure existed. It already existed before today, and I think they're aware of that. That's why they went out and made some of these moves in the offseason, to be so aggressive, to be bold as Jim Benning said, to try to turn things around from last year because they know they do have to take this into account.
1: Someone made a point earlier on the inbox, and I can't find it, but I'll kind of pra- paraphrase what was said. It was up to the fact that, yeah, like, the pressure – yeah, Jim Benning made some moves this offseason not to appease, you know, Elias Peterson or some potential free agents down the road, but he did it because he only has two years left on his deal and he needs to make something happen. Uh, yeah, he does, right? Like, if we're looking at this from Jim Benning's point of view – He's got a longer rope than many general managers would have had, with the lack of success that this team has had in his tenure. Correct? Like, do you do you agree with me on that one? Like the fact that oh, no doubt about it. Right. So, because a lot of us thought that maybe he was going to be on the outs after this season, but no, he's got two years left on this deal, and you've got two playoff runs: your first year, and then the bubble weird playoff run. And you took a massive step back last year and you left a lot of people, fan favorites go in free agency and players that you thought that fan bases at least thought should have been signed and kept with this team. I won't bring up Tyler Toffoli, but I will. And it's on not just Jim Benning to appease these free agents, but yeah, he's, he's definitely part of this equation because he does understand. I think everyone understands that if there's no playoffs next year, or at least a playoff push, what's ownership going to look like? Okay. We've got revenue back in the stands. We've got fans back in the stands. Francesco Acolini is going to get get money back in his pocket. It's a little bit more palpable to pay someone for one more year not to pay not to be with the organization, Jamie, than pay someone two years when you had no revenue coming in over the last season to be with uh, to not be with the organization. So yeah, it's not just Jim Benning trying to appease the players on the ice. He's also trying to save his job.
0: Oh, of course, of course he is. Right? Uh, that, and that's. You know, most general managers in the NHL, to a certain extent, are always doing something to try to save their job. But you're right. The pressure to perform in this season is immense on Jim Benning. Because he's already lasted a lot longer than most general managers do when they have a record and a winning percentage like he does, right? Like, usually that's a short-term arrangement if you consistently ice the kind of teams that Jim Benning has iced. So he's been lucky in a lot of respects to survive as Canucks general manager this long. And you're absolutely right. The pressure on this season is immense
1: when you look at when players speak their minds what what's one of the criticisms that we have with players in the NHL they they say clichés right and they don't they don't give you a lot they don't give you quotes right like something tangible it's usually just yep. like oh, you know we played 110% and you know everyone played well and whatever whatever it is so when someone does speak out we either enjoy it or they're criticized for speaking their mind right like it's it's If they don't speak their mind and they just tout the company line, then we criticize them. But then if they do speak out and they say something the fans don't like, then we criticize them as well. Because, look, this text did come in. Pedersen sounds like a flake. He hasn't proven anything. If he's talking like that, I would trade him lose interest as a fan. Elias Pedersen is talking to me. I hear this, Jamie, as someone who's always spoken what he believes. He's always been honest. If he doesn't like a question, he's going to tell you. He doesn't like a question, with his, or he'll give you an eye roll. But I, I like this because it shows the passion for your star player wanting to put a winning product on the ice. Personally, for me, I see it opposite to what that texture sees it as.
0: Yeah, and let's just take a step back and think about how kind of uncontroversial Elias Patterson's statement is here, right? Like, really what he says is, you know, we haven't signed a deal yet, but we probably will. I'm not worried about it. And I want to be in Vancouver, and I also want to be on a winning team. that That's what he says, right? And, oh, by the way, he also throws in there, and I think we have a chance to go deep in the playoffs this year. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, when you really take a step back, like, yeah, no kidding. Uh, <laughs> I don't, uh, the idea that that makes him sound like a flake, like what? No, he's just saying he likes Vancouver and he also wants to win. Again, it would be so stunning and shocking to hear the opposite, right? To say, ah, I don't care about winning. Ah, who cares? No, whatever. I don't care about that. I'll just stay in Vancouver. Like that would be cause for concern. A player like him saying that winning is important to him? Yeah, no, that's, that's not being a flake. That's just being a competitor.
1: Yeah, you know what? Like, I want to sign twelve million dollars for eight seasons. Handcuff our team moving forward, so that like, you know, when it comes to signing other free agents, this is what's it's going to be tough to do. But I got my, I got mine, right? Like, I don't know, I don't know what uh, what people want these days, Jamie. But in the end. Look, he's going to be in camp. Depends on if, you know, there's a little bit of holdout. We don't know that for sure. But opening night, Elias Petterson's going to be with the team. He's going to be with the team for the next couple of years. And if you're a Vancouver Canucks fan, you hope that Elias Pettersson's right. And in a couple of years, your perennial uh, playoff contender, Greg, let's get quickly to take the L. Jamie, who's going to take the L for you?
0: Well, I got to put my hand up. I got okay. to take the L. Because it okay. was last week, less than a week ago, Karen, on Thursday when we were doing yeah. the show and the messy news started breaking on social media and my initial reaction, I mean, even when you texted me about it in a break, my initial reaction was, eh, like we hear this all the time. And, and that's true. In my defense, that's true. We have heard repeatedly in recent years, you know, oh, Messi and Barcelona, they're out. They're, they're, they're headed for a break. He's going to play somewhere else next year. And then yeah. every time we heard that, actually got patched up and he went back to Barcelona, right? So, my initial reaction and I said as much on air was, okay, maybe this has a little bit more legs, but I I said straight up, if I had to bet right now, does he play for Barcelona, does he play for any other club in the world? I would take Barcelona. So, I got to ta- I got to put my hand up. I was wrong. I have to take the L on this one. He has signed for PSG. I just assumed that there <laughs> they couldn't possibly be the yeah. case that Even though both teams want to play, both sides, Messi and Barcelona, wanted the relationship to continue, that they'd be forced apart. I thought that sounded too crazy, but it happened. So there you go. I got one wrong. I was absolutely incorrect. He's going to be in Paris. I'll take the L on that one.
1: I'm going to say take the L to anyone who thought that Carson Wentz or believed the fact that we were going to have to talk about another starting quarterback for week one for the Indianapolis, Col- Indianapolis Colts. Jamie, it came out today that Carson Wentz and their guard, Quentin Nelson, who had the exact same foot surgeries, a bone removed from their fifth metatarsal, sounds painful, by the way, um, were going to be anything except... Like, we thought this was going to be okay. Indianapolis is going to start 0-4. Are they going to have to go and get a veteran quarterback? What are they going to do? Sam Ellinger was taking snaps. Their sixth round draft pick in this past draft, he was taking first-team snaps yesterday. What the heck are they going to do? Nope. Indianapolis Colts are probably going to have Carson Wentz and their guard, Quentin Nelson, in week one against the Seattle Seahawks. Like, I, I guess I should take the L because I was, like, baiting. I was buying this. Uh, it appears that they are on the five-week recovery path versus the 12th week recovery path that this injury did uh, had the very uh, large <laughs> recovery time, five to 12 weeks, but it looks like they're going to be on path uh, for Indianapolis and their fans. This is good news because when you look at the quarterback depth with the Colts, anybody but Carson Wentz, and we still don't actually know what Carson Wentz will do or which Carson Wentz will show up for the Indianapolis Colts, but it looks like he will be healthy, or at least trending to be healthy for week one. So all of our panic was for nothing.
0: I will say, though, if you're a Colts fan, you can't feel great about having a Carson Wentz coming off of injury, not having had a chance to have a proper training camp with a new team starting in week one either. Like, yeah, it's better than the alternatives you have on your roster. But given what we've seen recently from Carson Wentz, that wouldn't exactly fill me with confidence.
1: At least he's, you know, throwing more than what? balls in the NFL. So you have to hope that he like can fall back just on experience. New wing or sorry, Indianapolis, especially when you put Quentin Nelson back in there has one of, if not the best offensive lines in the NFL. So maybe that'll help Carson Wentz. And I don't know if they can get their run game going, but either way it was announced. They are trending to play the Seahawks week. One should also say that the Seattle Seahawks did release Alden Smith today. The um, he's had a tough career. Uh, Jamie and he came back last season for the Dallas Cowboys and he behaved himself, but he had a little bit more off, yeah. off field issues this off season, but the Seahawks did bring him in, but they did cut him today. So we'll see if his NFL career continues or if it is over. Um, going to talk a little, what are we doing now? Oh, we're going to talk to an Olympic medalist next, Jamie. I'm pretty stoked for this one. Evan Dumphy is going to join us. He's a character. When you talk to him, there's going to be some laughs. There's going to be some smiles. Uh, he was a bronze medalist in the men's 50-kilometer racewalk event. He avenged his fourth-place finish from Rio. We're going to talk to him next on Rintoul and Sermon. With Jamie Dodd in for Scott Rintoul.
0: You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon.
1: Jamie, momentarily, we're going to be joined by Evan Dumphy, bronze medalist, Olympic bronze bronze medalist in the men's 50-kilometer race walk. We're also going to be joined tomorrow um, on our show by Olympic gold medalist Julia Grosso. Uh, who scored the winning goal for Canada in the penalty kicks in the women's soccer. And we've got a, a little special guest. I'm not going to say for yet for Friday, but we got some irons in the fire and you don't want to miss it because we have another potential gold medalist on our show as well. So uh, a lot of Olympians joining us back from Tokyo. And we could draw from a few because there were 24 medals won by Canada in these Olympic Games.
0: Yeah, we got a lot to choose from. And when one of those is in a team event, you know, obviously there's a, t- a ton of individuals on that team and the coaches and everything. But it's great. It's it's really, really exciting to have a chance to spotlight uh, yes. some members of our Olympic team who performed just incredibly like they did. They represented Canada so, so well. and I'm really thrilled for the chance to talk to some of them here this week.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was historic uh, because of the fact it's the most medals that Canada has ever uh, amassed at an Olympic Games uh, outside of the 1984 boycotted games by the Soviet Union in Los Angeles. It tied a record seven gold medals, which ties uh, 92 Barcelona as the most gold medals won by Canada in an Olympic Games. So it was historic in... A lot of moments for Canada, and one of them was with Richmond's very own Evan Dumphy. Evan, good. I'll say good morning. Sorry, I had to look if it's good morning or afternoon. Good morning. How are you doing today?
2: Uh, you know, I'm, I'm jet lagged enough that it could be any time of day. <laughs> I would have I believed you.
1: How's the uh, How's the body adjusting back from Tokyo? Uh,
2: it's It's good. I was I was up at four a.m. Uh, you know, just roll in the interwebs so uh pretty normal for a trip like that but uh mostly excited mostly just sort of ready to enjoy this this moment this next little while
1: um evan i do have to ask you did you get your just walk around the neighborhood like you wanted to have uh when you got back from tokyo after winning your bronze medal
2: i did my uh my partner and i the first thing we did was walk over to mcdonald's and uh (laughs) and, and indulge um so that was fantastic
1: how was stepping off the plane uh, when you got back to the Lower Mainland and you had a little bit of a cheering squad for you, I understand, when you got off the plane?
2: Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, I'm not the best at celebrating myself um, and, and not having my family and friends in Tokyo to help me do that. It was so cool to uh, to step off the plane and have uh, a bunch of them there to to start celebrating that moment with and uh, to show off the medal to and to, yeah, to truly really kick off that kind of Jubilation feeling because the biggest thing I was feeling after the race was just sort of a, a a quiet contentness of like, Whew, okay I did the thing you know I set my sights on the thing and I did the thing and mm-hmm. I was feeling very content and now that I'm home around the people that I love I'm feeling pretty pretty jubilant.
0: So you said kind of quiet contentment right after the race when you knew you'd won bronze. In the closing stages of the race, because it was a very exciting uh, comeback for you to get onto the podium, what were the emotions going through your head as you you know in the closing stages of the race and as it became clear that you were going to be able to secure the
2: bronze uh, I really didn't think I was going to be able to do it. Um, I had been asking my body for just a little bit more, just a little bit more, so many times during that race and and every time I did, my, my body just sort of said no, I was cramping up in my hamstrings and and just nothing was uh was clicking and then finally for whatever reason in that last kilometer i asked my body one more time just to you know if there was another gear and uh, i was thinking of my family and friends back home who were walking every step of the way with me and for whatever reason my body said okay go and uh, gave me that next extra gear and i was able to kick down and make up a pretty substantial gap on on the third place athlete and Yeah, once I got in front of him with, like, 200 meters to go and and saw the finish line and knew I was going to win that medal, it was just kind of like a, oh, wow. Like, yeah, how I don't quite believe that I've done this yet. Um, uh, And then it was just sort of an exaltation of emotion.
0: Yeah, I like how you describe it there, kind of in conversation with your body almost and it's such an interesting event because it's so long and so grueling physically but i can imagine the mental strain must be really significant as well how hard is it to to stay in the right headspace even in the closing stages of that event where you are able to kind of as you say ask your body for more and and stick in the right right headspace to make that final push
2: it's really tough um you know you're one of the toughest things about this race was you know, it was hot, it was humid, but we had this giant commercial building with the, an, a giant LED screen that was just showing the temperature. So every time you came around the corner, <laughs> it would show you just how hot it was. And, and that with your, with negotiation with your body to just be like, no, no, it's not that bad. Don't worry about it. Ignore that. Like, you're cool. You're co- you're, you, you, know, you feel cold. You feel cold. Think cold thoughts. Um, you know, there's so much negotiation going on with your body to, to get it through that race and, and to manage your energy levels and, and make sure you don't you know, hit that big gear too early and run out of steam and also make sure you don't leave anything left at the finish line. And, um, it, you know, it takes, it takes years and years of fine tuning to get there. And, you know, I've put in 20,000 plus kilometers since the last Olympics working towards this goal of, uh, of getting on the podium. So it, it's just the culmination of a ton of work.
1: We're speaking with Evan Dumphy, a bronze medalist from Tokyo. Evan, um, I know you know Devin Haru, a CBC reporter uh, on the ground in Tokyo. We've been following his journey on Twitter, and one of the biggest things he's been tweeting about, not Necessarily just 7-Eleven, but he was tweeting about the fact that just the temperature and even just him dealing with temperatures in Tokyo and the high humidity. We're going through a bit of a heat uh, a heat wave right here now in the lower mainland, but nothing like what you guys experienced over there. Like how brutal was it, and was it a negative for you, or was it something? I know not specifically just in the race, but was it okay to walk in that type of temperatures?
2: Yeah. So funnily enough, so so in. November of 2019, the IOC moved the race walks and the marathons 800 kilometers north to Sapporo because uh, yeah. they were scared of, of how hot it was going to be. And then lucky enough for me, the day of the race, it was the same temperature in Sapporo as it was in Tokyo because, you know, I love I love the hot conditions. Um, you know, that was, we had our world championships in Doha where it was just sweltering um, yeah. and I did really well and, and same as this one. So I was going into it hoping that it would be as hot and humid as possible because I know that I can compete really well in those conditions and we prepare for them. We have a, you know, I have a whole team behind me of, of physiologists and coaches and physiotherapists and, and, and mental performance coaches and all these people who helped get me to the start line, um, you know, ready for those conditions. So I was standing on that start line, 530 in the morning, 28 degrees and 80% humidity and just had a giant smile on my face, a sweaty smile, but a giant smile nonetheless. <laughs> just, just knowing that I was going to do well with that with compared to my competitors.
1: Evan, what were the last five years like for you? Obviously, we—it's been very well documented what happened in Rio, finishing fourth, then thinking it's bronze, then going back to fourth. Mentally, was Rio part of your goals going forward, or was it just trying to get on the podium itself? Rio didn't have anything to do with it.
2: Uh, certainly, I mean, the last five years have been really awesome because I think the previous five years, heading into to Rio, were a really—it was a really selfish journey. I was doing it for myself and. Um, and there wasn't much beyond that. It was, it was, you know, chasing after my own personal, uh, goals. Um, the last five years, I've felt like I've been on this journey with, uh, a whole community, um, which has made it so much better, so much more enjoyable to share that with, you know, the people of Richmond, um, use my platform, use my story from Rio to help, you know, organizations like Kids Sport get more kids, uh, involved in sport. And, So I think the last five years, you know, they've been a ton of hard work, but they've been so much more rewarding knowing that the work I was putting in was uh, not only towards a selfish goal, but was also helping, uh, helping my community and help providing positive value back to the people that support me.
0: Evan, one of the unique things obviously about this Olympics was no fans, no spectators from from Canada there to cheer you on, to cheer the other athletes on. You talk about the community feel of your journey over the last 5 years and you know obviously that's day in day out as you're training leading up to the event, but at the games themselves, were you able to feel connected to, you know, that community support you had and, and also the fans that you knew were cheering you home, uh, cheering you on back home in
2: Canada? I knew that uh, that a big group of my friends had set up a little watch party in, in their backyard and I knew that they were walking every step of the way with me so um, I really just channeled that every chance I got and you know I'm really thankful my, my former teammate Miyake Gomez um, it was the first major race I, I've been at but he wasn't able to be there but you know I'm so thankful that he was there to, uh, to give my partner Sarah a shoulder to cry on in those final stages of the race I think they really needed each other and Um, you know, I, am just grateful for, for that support and that, that, uh, you know, those friends that have all come together to, to rally behind me. And I, I really was just, I could feel them, you know, as cliche as that sounds, I really could feel their energy as, as I was closing in those final stages.
0: No fans was part of it, but obviously there was a lot that was different about these games. What was the most challenging aspect of your Olympic experience this time around?
2: Being up in Sapporo, it was it was a little bit different with uh, just con- not feeling so much like you were at the Olympics. We you know there was we weren't in the village. We didn't have big uh, Tokyo 2020 branding everywhere. We were just sort of in a hotel surrounded by some you know a bunch of marathon runners and other race walkers and and just trying to convince myself that uh, it was more than just you know a normal a normal race walk race. Um, uh, I think that was probably the biggest thing, but um, Certainly then as well, just making sure that we are you know, providing positive value back to uh, the people of, of Sapporo who um, kind of had this thrust upon them. And, and we were really lucky that we actually did get some, some fans out along the side of the road to cheer us on. And, and I love that because we're a free event. We're completely accessible um, to, to fans, just rock up with their families and, and take part in. So I was really happy that we were able to get a few thousand people out there.
1: Evan, you weren't in the athlete's village, but what were the restrictions like and the testing like for you daily in Sapporo?
2: Yeah, so we were tested daily. Um, and, and in Sapporo, our movements were incredibly restricted To We stayed on our floor of the hotel um, and, and were able to move between our floor and uh, the, the cafeteria, the dining, the dining hall, um, and then to the training venue. Those were the only places we were, we were able to go. So we were in a really secure bubble. I managed to get down to the Olympic Village for the last couple of nights because my, my medal mm. ceremony was, was in the Olympic Stadium, so that was really cool to get to have a couple of nights to experience the village and to you know, take advantage of, of some of the perks of, uh, of being in the village and, and head to the dining hall and fill up a tray full of uh, random assortment of foods that should never go together, but, <laughs> but we're enjoying <laughs> nonetheless.
1: We're joined in conversation with Evan Dumphy, Olympic bronze medalist in the men's 500 kilometer racewalk. Evan, for those that don't know, how did you get into the sport?
2: Uh, I was 10 years old. I, uh, I was the shortest kid in the class, red curly hair, big thick glasses, kind of your quintessential uh, nerdy kid. And I loved sport and I wanted to be good at something. And my elementary school I had a popsicle stick run where you run a lap in the field at lunch and you get a popsicle stick, run 10 laps, get 10 popsicle sticks, work towards running, you know, 100K or whatever. And, I figured, hey, this is a great this is a great opportunity. There's no balls that can hit me in the face and break my glasses, so I'll give it a try yeah, yeah. and uh, turned out I had some pretty good endurance and, and my brother had, had given this race walking thing a try just serendipitously and as the younger brother I was like, Well, if he can do it, it's gotta be pretty easy and went out and I won my first race and I was hooked. I from ten years old I, I knew that, that this was the thing I wanted to go to the Olympics in.
1: Now, Evan, I've, I've run a couple of half marathons in my life, but that's only 21.1 kilometers. Uh, I consider that a long race, but 50 kilometers is a really long race when you think about it. How, does train, how do you train for an event like this?
2: So training is similar to a marathon, you know, just lots of, lots of slow kilometers um, and then a few really hard kilometers. So, you know, I'll do somewhere between 150 and 180 kilometers a week of walking. That'll be maybe some, maybe one or two 40Ks uh, a week. So you know, basically doing one or two marathons a week in training and then a, a whole bunch of 10 to 20K walks as well and, and then some faster stuff, some tempos, some intervals. Um, you know, very similar to, to what you'd expect to see from a marathon. If you're training for a marathon, maybe just um, you know, a little bit faster at, uh, uh, at, at the, the paces I'm going.
0: Evan, we've heard from a lot of athletes about the challenges over the last 18 months or so of training. You're prepping for the Olympics, but because of COVID restrictions, you're, you don't always have access to the same facilities or coaches or whatever the case may be. Something is disrupting your training regimen. Did, was that the case for you or were you able to you know, carry on pretty much as normal in the lead up to the games?
2: I was incredibly lucky. I mean, one of the best things about race walking is, is that you need a pair of shoes and, and road. And, and the roads weren't taken away from us, and I still had my shoes coming in. So, uh, uh, you know, I was, I was lucky to be able to get out there. And I, I think we saw, you know, tons of people saw the benefits of walking throughout the pandemic as, as exercise, but also as just mental health um, breaks to, to get out there and to enjoy um, being outdoors. So not only was I able to get out and, and do all my normal training, I felt like I had more people out cheering me on as I was doing it, as, as more and more people got out for their own walks. So it was really cool here in Richmond. I, I think pretty much every day I had half a dozen to, to two dozen people honking their horns saying, good luck, Evan, go, Evan, go. And, and that really spurred me on.
0: That's awesome. And I, I love your comments about the accessibility of the sport as well. Does that make it even more disappointing that, you know, as we stand right now, the, the event you finished third in is, is going to be the last time this event is ran at the Olympics?
2: Yeah, the 50k racewalk, I think is just, I, I, I'll never tire of, uh, you know, of speaking about how much value it has, um, you know, being a free event, having no infrastructure requirements, and then just being in a position to, you know, who better to promote walking as exercise than Olympic race walkers. Um, and, you know, it might not look the same way that I do it, but just being able to tell people that, hey, if, if you're looking for a good way to, to be fit and get healthy and, Walking counts. Walking is a totally viable way to do that. And, um, and, you know, to have one of our events taken away and have that, those opportunities for athletes to, to fill those roles as role models is, is really disappointing.
0: You know, and I know you've used your platform to advocate for exactly what you're talking about, right? Increase public health, the importance of walking. Is that something that, you know, the Olympics and the IOC as a whole should be doing more of is investing more in, in that kind of messaging about public health?
2: Yeah, I'd love to see that. Um, you know, it, the IOC is not short of uh, of money that they could be spending no. on, on, on things like that. So, um, you know, uh, taking away uh, half of the IOC members' per diems could uh, could go a really long way in uh, in in creating some uh, some active transport uh, initiatives. But um, you know, I'm not going to hold my breath, unfortunately.
1: We're speaking with Evan Dumphy for a few more minutes here on Rintual and Sermon with Jamie Dodd in for Scott RinTool. Evan, after you won your bronze medal, um, you did take to Twitter and you, you called out the IOC for the fact that they had changed the time for the women's marathon to earlier while the women were sleeping. Like they just didn't know about this. And is that is that important for you to make to call the IOC out when things are not going right because of the governing body that it is?
2: Uh, certainly, you know, it, it's a position that I've, you know, kind of taken on just as being someone who, who hasn't been afraid to speak my mind. And I've obviously had to fine tune that over the years. And as I've, as I've kind of found my voice a little bit more, but, um, you know, definitely not afraid to, uh, to, to speak my truth and, and to, to have my opinion out there. And, um, you know, I hear from a lot of athletes who really appreciate it. So if I'm able, if that's the role I'm able to, to fill and the value I'm able to ride to sticking up for, for my fellow athletes and fighting for, for their rights, then um, I'm more than happy to, to do it.
1: So you've got the bronze medal, the Olympic bronze medal now. What does the next couple of months look like for Evan Dunphy? Do you get to do a little bit of a vacation, a break, take a little bit of a walking break, or are you gearing up for another event?
2: Yeah, I'll take a little bit of a break here, and then we have our, uh, our world championships next year will be in Eugene. And uh, you know, as I sit here talking to you in Richmond, I'm actually closer to Eugene than I was in Sapporo to Tokyo. So it will definitely feel like a <laughs> home, a home world championship. So I'm really targeting that because I want to get all my friends and family who couldn't have been there in in in, in Japan, unfortunately. I want to you know get a busload of people down to, to to cheer me on at that race. So I'm steadfast focused on that, and then yeah, beyond that, it's really just finding ways that I can create, continue to create positive value in my community. So. Whatever that looks like, I, I'm not 100% sure yet, but um, that's going to be the goal from here on forward is how I can use my platform to, to help my community.
1: Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I know you're probably a little tired and trying to get back on a regular schedule back here in Canada, but congratulations once again on winning a bronze medal in Tokyo. Uh, we wish you nothing but the best moving forward and we'll, we'll touch base you know, prior to those uh, world championships.
2: Perfect. I look forward to it.
1: Thanks, Evan. That is Evan Dunphy, bronze medalist, Richmond's own, here in the lower mainland in the men's 50 kilometer race walk. The one thing I do like about Evan, and he mentioned it, Jamie, is he uses his platform for a better cause.
2: And whether it's calling
1: out, yeah, whether it's calling the IOC or helping his community, like it's just, it's it's wonderful that he's been able to say, like, I do have this platform and and I want to use it to help people out.
0: And he's not afraid to share his personality as part of that as well. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, as he alluded to, that is something, you know, he would love to see the Olympics as a whole do more of that, right? As, as yeah. just being open about physical exercise and, and participation in sports at all levels. And it's really cool to see him, as you said, use his platform, use his voice, mm-hmm. kind of carry the banner for those causes.
1: And I don't know about you, but when this pandemic hit and we were kind of stuck inside and the gyms closed down and, you know, athletic classes that I was used to going to had closed down, I really did start walking. I was like what Evan said, like a lot of his community, because it's the only way you could basically get fresh air and you could, you know, you could avoid contact with people basically outside as well and you could do you could do the big you know the six feet around walk if someone did come up on the sidewalk but i found for my mental health and i still do it like you know i've last couple days gone for a walk just because after the show you need a bit of a break what better thing to do than go get fresh air
0: yeah, unfortunately, today might be a little too hot. <laughs> yes, to do it right yes. after the show, which is which is a shame. But I'm right there with you. It's it's great. It's exactly what he said. It's you know people kind of look down their nose at it. Oh, that's not real exercise, but it is. It is. It, it counts, oh. as he said, and it's important.
1: Yeah, hey, you put those kilometers on. I try and get ten thousand steps a day. Sometimes it's two thousand, which is unfortunate because when you live in the suburbs, you kind of uh, you kind of drive everywhere. But yeah, it's it's a great form of exercise and it's a great way of just like just clearing the cobwebs out of your brain. Someone did text in. Actually, Minor Matt in Abbotsford did say uh, maybe Karen should race walk the beer mile. Minor Matt, you might be onto something. You might be onto something. It might help me going forward jamie uh not throwing up uh running when i do this beer mile uh, <laughs> he, did, he did ask if it was still on it will be happening in september now we can keep having to push back because scott and i are on vacation on yep. different weeks so we do want him to be there because we're going to put it out on social media so it will happen it's just going to take some time well
0: and honestly karen probably for the best for you i mean fingers crossed that we have some cooler weather by the yes. time you're actually get around to doing it. if you were doing it this week that would be miserable oh.
1: No, I would have uh, rescheduled. <laughs> I would have said, Like, I'm not putting yeah. my body through that. It's just not going to happen. Uh, three hours in the books. That means, Calgary, this is where we leave you. We're going to hand things over to The Big Show on 960. Enjoy the rest of your day and rest of the afternoon. We'll talk to you tomorrow morning, Thursday morning, Vancouver. We're going to head to Minneapolis next to talk a little football, NFL football, Jamie, with KOA Colorado's Benjamin Albright. I did see he was tweeting yesterday. He, I say Minneapolis, because Denver is playing uh, the Vikings in their first preseason game, and he was tweeting from the airport saying he was getting on an airplane. I don't know if that's the first time he's flown in quite a while. I know I'm getting on an airplane Saturday, and I'm thinking about it. This is going to be a little weird.
0: I I can only imagine. It's going to be really weird. I I would think so, anyways.
1: Yeah, so we'll see if Benjamin, if it's the first time he's been on a plane, and what I have to expect. Uh, You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon with Jamie Dodd on for Scott Rintoul.
0: You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon.
1: Hour four of Rintoul and Sermon. One final hour before we hand it over to Bick and the Boss on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd in for Scott Rintoul. Uh, Jamie, did you ever watch um, Good Morning Football on the NFL Network? Or did yes, you watch it absolutely. Yeah, right. It's, it's been on for I think about like five years now. Uh, they do it all year round, which is absolutely incredible. They don't take a hiatus in the offseason. Uh, the NFL Network does a very good job of keeping the NFL (laughs) top of mind for people but um, Nate Burleson just announced today that after five years he's stepping down from the show he's still going to be a contributor on the NFL network and he's still going to be a contributor to the show just not as a host five days a week but he's moving on he's going to be a host or co-host on CBS this morning and for people that don't know that's basically the equivalent well it is the equivalent of Good Morning America which is the the title that we all know for ABC. So congratulations for Nate Burleson. He's still going to do the NFL uh, Sunday live. I'm not sure, sorry, what the show is called on CBS. Yep. Uh, but still, still he's, he's making the step to to go into bigger and better things. Congratulations for him. He is one of the shining stars, up and coming stars in the broadcast world in the NFL.
0: Yeah, following, uh, following in the footsteps of Michael Strahan, of course, yes. who did uh, daytime television with, uh, who was it? Who was, the, who was his co-host? I think he,
1: he- was good. Well, oh, uh, Kelly Ripa.
0: Yes, that's right, with Kelly Ripa.
1: Yeah, he stepped in uh, with Kelly Ripa, and now he's on, I believe, Good Morning America, uh, the one I just said for uh, ESPN. So crossover talents, definitely. He is one of uh, – he's great to listen to. He is so insightful. He also did that Nickelodeon game Uh Yeah, I remember this that. Year. And the fact that he can make football relatable to t- – Children, I mean, it just shows you how <laughs> talented how talented he is. Um, some news coming in from Seahawks training camp. We're just going to talk about this quickly before we get to Benjamin Albright from KOA Colorado. ESPN's Brady Henderson said today that the Seahawks have made another contract offer to Jamal Adams. They're still awaiting response from the Pro Bowl safety. Jamie, we do know it's not like he's a holdout at camp. He did report, so did Dwayne Brown. Yeah. Both of them are looking for extensions, but they're doing the whole, yeah, we're just going to stand on the sidelines holding our helmet until a contract is signed.
0: A, a hold in, as I've seen some people call it, right? Where you're oh, there, like you're it. present, but, you know, you're, you're waiting to get down to business until you get the new deal.
1: Yeah, and Jamal Adams, we know how uh, important he is for these defense uh, going forward, so a deal will get done. It's just a matter of, I think, does it kind of just go up until the the drop dead date of week one of the NFL season. Uh, He is looking to become the NFL's highest paid safety, topping $15.25 million per year, which is um, average per year, which is right now the Denver Broncos, Justin Simmons. So he's looking to get paid and no doubt he, he deserved to as well. We've seen his importance when healthy on the Seahawks defense.
0: No, no doubt about it. Huge. I mean, they went out and they spent big assets to get him right. So you got to think a deal will get done sooner rather than
2: later there.
1: Uh, Going around the NFL, we're getting ready, preseason games, Jamie. We were talking about it earlier, like, okay, there's CFL action that's happening, like, real, actual, regular season games, so let's be tuned into that. NFL NFL preseason doesn't really, you know, there's some storylines to come out of it, but I think this year, more than any, there is more storylines to pay attention to just because of one, the quarterback carousel and the young quarterbacks that could potentially be starting week one. Uh, to get into all of that, we're joined now from Benjamin with Benjamin Albright. Uh, Benjamin, I believe you are in Minneapolis. Am I not mistaken?
3: I am. And I apologize for the background noise and the wind a little bit, but we are out here at joint Broncos Vikings practices.
1: Oh, that's not a problem. We always appreciate when you're on site, of course, Benjamin with, uh, KOA Colorado. Um, Let's start by talking about the team that you cover thoroughly, the Denver Broncos. They brought in Teddy Bridgewater this past offseason, so it's up to him and Drew Locke for competition for the starter's job. What have you seen so far in camp from these two quarterbacks?
3: Well, I don't think any of them's really distinguished themselves. Drew's probably having a little bit better training camp, but you know bringing Teddy in, I think the coaching staff internally might have favored him a little bit, you know, in terms of this. So this thing's really going to be decided by these preseason games. That's why this shorter preseason slate is so critical. You've got to get uh, you know maximize your reps and get out there and do it. Vic Fangio says he really wants to judge these quarterbacks under live fire, and the only way to do that is to put them in a game.
1: When you look at this Denver team, and especially the Denver offense, obviously it's a division that has some high-powered offenses, those run by Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, and you can even put the Raiders in there with Derek Carr. How do you see Denver matching up with the rest of this division?
3: Well, Denver clearly has the best defense of those four teams. Uh, In fact, uh, to that point, the Chargers went out and hired their head coach, Vic Fangio Disciple, based on what he was able to do to kind of slow down Pat Mahomes with that defense in that second game last year. They ultimately didn't get the job done with the offense. So Denver's going to have to pick up some points somewhere, and that's going to be the way that they they start getting back into trying to win this division. The defense is very good. It's it's the offense that's a giant question mark.
0: And on the offense, you know, as you said, the, t- the camp battles between Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke, Drew Locke's going into his third year in the league. I know a lot of people are excited about the receiving core in Denver with Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy and some of the other weapons they have there. How important is this season for Drew Locke and his NFL career to really establish himself as a as a starting level NFL quarterback?
3: Well, I'd go further even than this season. I would say these next few days and next few games, because if he doesn't win the starting job, then, you know, then what? Um, so he he needs to come out and win that job, and, and ultimately, if he wins that job, he needs to come out and prove that he deserves to keep it. Uh, and so that's that's where we're at with this thing. So it's it's vital. Uh, every every rep this season is vital for Drew Locke and vital for you know his future in the NFL. Otherwise, you know he he, he could become that journeyman guy that just kind of never was reclamation project, and the odds on that are very slim
0: sticking in the AFC West, Justin Herbert was I think one of the surprise stories as a rookie quarterback in the NFL last year with the performance he turned in. What are your expectations for him in year 2? Is it, you know, is it more realistic just to hope that he kind of maintains that level of play or do you think he could even take a step forward and be better than he was last year?
3: Well, I think he could take a step forward as a you know as a quarterback and and a step backwards as a producer simultaneously. Um, the fact that they're switching offenses they have gone from Anthony Lynn, which really catered to Justin's strengths, running a lot of that PA shot play type stuff, uh, gave him max protect and allowed routes to get down the field and make those big plays. Moving to Joe Lombardi as offensive coordinator is going to be an adjustment. Um, it's similar to what the Saints run, but... Uh, at least in terminology, but, you know, I, I'm just not sure. Joe Lombardi's last ten years an OC in Detroit was not very successful, and so I'm a little bit concerned about that offense taking a step backwards. Is that the
0: kind of thing that could harm Herbert specifically, right? I mean, as you said, maybe he improves as a quarterback, but the stats aren't there. Does that concern you at all, as you say, moving from an offensive system where it favors him to one that yeah maybe doesn't play to his strength as much now?
3: Well, yeah, and I don't know about harming him, but certainly harming his bottom line. Um you know he's he's going to have to learn different things. He's going to have different coordinators over his career, so he's going to have to learn different things. But what Anthony Lynn did last year, what he, whatever you think of his coaching, his in-game decision making, the, the overall architecture of the offense was designed to cater to Herbert's strengths, and it really did uh, did him pretty well. So, and they're not going to have that this year. They just, that's not what Lombardi runs. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see how much he matches up from last year, and uh, and and what he learns and grasps quickly in that uh, uh, modified Saints offense that they'll run.
1: We're speaking with Ben Albright, uh, KOA Colorado. Ben, um, ESPN's power index had, I don't think, any surprise. The Kansas City Chiefs to win the Super Bowl, at least the favorites to win the Super Bowl. is When you look at things, is that your take, too?
3: Well, I think they are. I think they'd be the prohibitive favorite, yeah. Um, you know, I think everybody was kind of looking at the, the two teams that went last year as, as probably rematch candidates. There are certainly some other candidates out there. I mean Buffalo looks like a good football team. They came uh close as anybody last year. Green Bay's on the cusp, could be a last hurrah for Aaron Rodgers. So I, I think the final four teams last year gotta be the final four on the board if you're looking at it.
1: When you look about you said the Buffalo Bills right there and the deal that Josh Allen got. Were you surprised with the dollar figures on that? Or was that something that you think uh, aligned with your, your well, aligned with your thinking for that deal?
3: Oh, that's that's exactly what he should get. That's that's exactly how it goes. I mean, when you look at quarterback contracts, the next guy up resets the market, you know, and that's where we're at with this. And you're going to see some of that with Baker Mayfield, I think, Lamar Jackson. You know, if if he gets the big deal, we'll see. This year they've got a lot of problems going on there in Baltimore. But, um, you know, the next quarterback up just resets the market. So, no, it wasn't surprising to me. It's always surprising when people see these numbers at first. I'm like, "Ah, that's just what the next contract costs.
1: You were you said uh, not surprising that the Bucks are probably a favorite to be in the Super Bowl again as well. Jamie and I were discussing our five questions yesterday that we have going into this NFL season and Jamie posed the question like and he prefaced it with like he's he feels it's kind of silly asking this question but is Father time maybe going to catch up to Tom Brady this season or should we expect what we saw towards the end of last year?
3: Well, I, I think it's funny because weren't people writing articles about Father Time catching up with Tom Brady about 10 years ago? Didn't they say that the, the end was nigh? I, every time I go to count that guy out, he comes back and wins another Super Bowl. So, you know, I'm done. I, I, he might be immortal. I don't know what kind of vampirism he's into. But at this point, uh, I'm, I'm never betting against Tom Brady, even with time.
0: Yeah, and to be fair, when I brought it up on the show, as Karen said, I, I I admit it, like, I feel stupid even raising this topic because you're right. Every time we count him out, he comes back even just looking beyond Tom Brady you you can go up and down that roster in Tampa Bay and they have so much talent it seems like at every position do they have the deepest roster in the league in your opinion?
3: Oh, certainly. On the, I don't know about deepest, but on the surface level, they're good at every position. Um, you know, in terms of deepest, there's, there are some depth issues that they have there specifically along that offensive line, but, you know, they've, they've got uh, they've got a lot of talent overall, uh, at least in the one deep, and I, I think that that's served them well. If they can avoid injuries, they can certainly get back.
0: I want to ask you about some of the quarterback battles around the league. Let's start in Chicago. Obviously, they draft Justin Fields. Andy Dalton is there as well. How do you see that situation playing out in training camp, the preseason, and and going into week one.
3: Well, I think everybody's always excited for the rookie and the young guy, and it's you know they'll be clamoring for that. But I, I think Eddie Dalton's going to start the season as the starter. They've kind of made no bones about that. I don't uh, I don't foresee Justin Fields overtaking him early. Now, if that team stumbles or struggles, then you put him in. But you know, from what I've heard, and I, you know, I've seen the clips out of camp and throwing the ball and all that. But from what I've heard, um, it, it looks to me like he's a tick slow when you know when reading the field and all that, and he needs a game to slow down for him a little bit. So I expect to see him more towards midseason if you're going to see him this year.
0: Do you Is it something similar in San Francisco with, with Trey Lance or Jimmy Garoppolo, or is there more of a chance there that we could see Trey Lance early?
3: I think there's more of a chance simply because there's sub-package stuff for Trey Lance. Um, now, I've talked to people over there, and they, they say Trey Lance is, is making this thing difficult because the original plan was to kind of showcase Jimmy Garoppolo this year for a trade after this season. You know, now you've kind of got a situation or a setup where uh, Trey Lance is making it undeniable that he's he's just got so much more talent. So it's going to be tough. They're going to build some sub package stuff for him. So we'll see more of Trey probably early, uh, but I don't know as far as being the starter. Which one would be the starter first?
1: We're speaking with Ben Albright uh, in conversation with him for a few more minutes, Ben. I want to ask you about what you expect from this Miami Dolphins team, specifically to a of Viola, because we saw limitations last year and he had Ryan Fitzpatrick kind of over his shoulder. And if the offense wasn't going well, Fitzpatrick was put into the game. What do you expect at his pro- uh, progression this year as a year two quarterback, one more extra year removed from that hip injury? Do they open the playbook a little bit more for him?
3: Well, you, you hope so, and they tried to do that a little bit last year. But he was—I don't say he's afraid to throw it down the field, but he's certainly hesitant to do so. And it's part of the reason he kept getting benched. I—I you know, was in attendance at the—the uh, the game against Denver, obviously, and, and got to see it—you know—happen live on the field. Coaching staff was getting frustrated with him; he wouldn't take chances down the field. Just kept dumping it off. And I think he's going to have to push the ball a little bit. I think that's going to be—I think they're going to have to have confidence that he has the—the uh, the ability to push the ball. And I think he's got to have confidence that he's got the ability to push the ball. And you know, if they can do that, then you might get somewhere with this—with this football team.
1: How long do you think it is, and maybe it becomes what their record is before the questions start arising to Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers, and the questions are, uh oh, is he really, is his head really in it with Green Bay?
3: I, I think his head's in it to win football games. He, know, he knows that his legacy is on the line. He knows that uh, you know that this is about his uh, his football legacy overall. So I, I think he's going to give it the best that he can this year. But I think he's only there this year. I think he's out completely there this year.
0: Yeah, it certainly seems like this is the, as you said, the kind of the last dance, the last opportunity for him to establish his legacy again in Green Bay. Looking around the league, we were talking a bit about the AFC North earlier in the week, and, you know, we're so used to the Steelers being in the running in that division year in, year out, winning at least eight games every year. Looking at the team this year, it seems like they have a lot of issues and a lot of holes, more so than they have in the past. What do you make of the Steelers going into this season?
3: I think they the I think they do. I think there's questions all along the offensive line. I think there's questions about Ben Roethlisberger's arms ability to hold up overall uh, long term. I, I think there are a lot of questions about this team. And you know, I, I think that what they've done over the last couple of years, uh, despite a reduction in, in, in personnel and talent across the board, is a testament to Mike Tomlin's coaching. I, th- I think he's done a great job, fantastic job of coaching a team that maybe doesn't quite have the talent that we've kind of become accustomed to the Steelers having. So, you know, I, I think that's something to keep your eye on. Is uh, you know, Tomlin's been getting blamed last couple years but the reality is that their team hasn't drafted as well it hasn't, hasn't done as well in free agency as it only does
0: you know you mentioned a little earlier that the plan was kind of san francisco start jimmy garoppolo showcase him for a trade i mean i know the steelers still have ben roethlisberger but as you mentioned there's there's questions about his ability at this stage in his career we saw it last year is a team like the steel are the t- are the steelers or excuse me are the steelers a team that could be in the market to go out and try to upgrade at quarterback with somebody like jimmy garoppolo at some point
3: uh, possibly. You know, I think they went out and, and, and nabbed Dwayne Haskins as kind of a reclamation project to see if maybe he could be the guy or the first-rounder. But, um, you know, I, I, they know they need to do that. The question is how they're going to do it, and they don't have the money right now with Roethlisberger's contract to be able to do it. So it's going to be one of those things where you're going to have to go to the draft or you're going to have to wait until after Roethlisberger's gone to be able to do that.
0: Speaking of reclamation projects, Sam Darnold ends up in Carolina. Do you like his chances to revive his career a little bit with the Panthers?
3: Oh, I do. Everybody looks better when they get rid of Adam Gase as their are uh, uh you know coordinator <laughs> loosely. Um it seems like putting a boat anchor on a Ferrari. It's uh it's it just doesn't work. So I you know, I mean you look at Ryan Tannehill after he got out of Miami, look what Arthur Smith was able to redo for his career at Tennessee and you're you're kinda hoping that Matt Rule and Joe Brady could do that for Darnold. I've heard good things. He had a couple of bad days early on in camp, but I've heard good things coming out of there. So i I'd be excited to see it. And I, I like Matt Rule as a head coach, so I'm excited to see uh, you know, overall what they're able to do with him.
1: One face that we're not going to see, that's going to be weird not to see, is the fact that Drew Brees will not be under center for the New Orleans Saints this year. Uh, they've got Jameis Winston there. They've got Taysom Hill there right now. Who do you think Sean Payton will lean towards opening week?
3: Uh, you know, I, personally, I think it's going to wind up being uh, Jameis Winston with some package stuff for Taysom Hill, and he'll be used all over the place. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. I'd like to see the rotation in the first couple of preseason games, and then you can kind of really get an eye on, on how you think that thing's going to play out.
1: One more question for myself, Ben. When you look at the NFC West, uh, Jamie and I have always been in the, the mind. It's probably one of the toughest divisions to predict in football, if not the toughest division with the quality of teams. Uh, would you be surprised if one of three teams finishes first? Does Arizona have a chance to uh, compete for first with these three teams in this division?
3: It's a it's a weird division. You are absolutely right. It is tough to call the Seattle defense isn't as good as it was it once was. The San Francisco Forty Nine ers were horrifically injured last year. The Rams always seem like they're on the, on the verge of a major upgrade, and then we're not sure about that team once it gets going. Now now that they don't have golf, that might help them out. And you know, it's funny Arizona. You know, we brought Kingsbury in to kind of ramp up the offense, but if we'll be honest, the defense is what's carried that team last couple of years, especially last year. And uh, you know, I, I think that if Arizona doesn't make the playoffs, they might be in the in the market for a head coach change.
0: Just before we let you go here, Ben, I want to ask you about Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. You know, I think the number one thing that stood out for me from his rookie campaign was just the protection issues the team had in front of him, keeping him upright on the field and in the pocket. What are you expecting and maybe what are you hoping to see out of Joe Burrow in year two with the Bengals?
3: Well, you hope about the protection. They went out and got the receiver instead of the tackle, so you're kind of scratching your head on that a little bit. Um, you know, you, you just hope to see him out there able to recover from the injury and able to trust that his line can hold him up, even though they didn't last year. And uh, It's tough. It's a tough situation. If I was Joe Burrow and, and I don't feel confident or comfortable after a couple of games, I might I might shut it back down, not ruin an entire NFL career because the team around you is too incompetent to be able to, to put the right protection
2: around you.
1: Yeah, I'm with you, Ben. I do want to see uh, what he can do when the NFL has its stars healthy. It's obviously a better league to watch. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today and covering the gambit of questions we threw your direction. Enjoy the preseason game on Saturday. It's nice to see uh, football back on the field.
3: Absolutely. You guys take
1: care. That's Ben Albright, NFL insider with KOA Colorado. We, uh, we threw everything at him, Jamie.
0: He's plugged in or everywhere around the league. It's great.
1: He is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the big questions that he didn't, we didn't ask him about this, but we know Trevor Lawrence is going to start in Jacksonville and we know that Zach Wilson's going to start with the jets. The question is, and he's kind of the one that's getting underrated. Like is Mac Jones going to start over Cam Newton in um, new England. Does actually Trey Lance have a chance to start week one for uh, San Francisco and or does Justin Fields have a chance? And Ben didn't seem to think that either one of Justin Fields or Trey Lance would start week one. But if the offenses falter and the fan bases get angry, you could see them switch over early on or at least midpoint of the season. But I do wonder at one point, are we going to see all five of these rookie quarterbacks that were drafted all start NFL games in the same week?
0: I definitely think the first four, right, Lawrence uh, and Wilson and Fields and Lance, they will all start in the same week at some point, if I I had to predict Mm -hmm. right now, because I think there's a clear path for Trey Lance overtaking Jimmy Garoppolo, and especially based on the reports we've heard out of 49ers camp so far. And, you know, as Albright said there, Okay, Justin Fields hasn't been as impressive. You can tell he's a rookie at Bears camp, but he's also chasing Andy Dalton, and we know all about the limitations of Andy Dalton as a quarterback. So I think there's a clear path to both of those guys. Mac Jones is the one I'm not sure about. Now, Cam Newton's year with New England last year, it was very up and down. He had some good moments, but he had a lot of down moments as well. So you could look at it and say, hey, that's a spot that's open. I I just... I'm not that much of a Mac Jones believer, right? He feels more like a guy, you know, maybe he gets in week 17, week 18. Now, I guess that we're going to the 17 game schedule. Maybe he gets in at some point, but he feels more like a guy who sits for a whole year and then comes into next year's training camp with a chance to challenge for a starting job.
1: Well, it's funny because you talk about like, we know how Aaron Rodgers learned behind Brett Favre. You talk about Patrick Mahomes learning behind um, Alex Smith in Kansas City. Mac Jones and Cam Newton, very different quarterbacks on the field, right? So it'd yes. be very, it's, it's an interesting situation having Mac Jones sit behind uh, Cam Newton because they're not going to run the same offense whatsoever. Like, Mac Jones is going to... Well, he likes to tell us he can run and move his legs a lot more than we've seen in Alabama, but for Cam Newton, he needs to basically use his legs to be effective. So it'll be interesting to see how, how things go. I do I do think if... New England falters, and Cam Newton is more of the downside Cam Newton that we saw last year, then I do think they're probably going to give him a chance. You never know. Josh McDaniels, he's got his two tight ends, his two good tight ends this season, so the offense that he wants to run maybe with a Mac Jones at quarterback. I don't know, but I, I'm, I'm with you. I do think that... Justin Fields let's see what he can do in preseason let's see what Trey Lance can do in preseason because all of the reports that we've heard you know okay so Justin Fields is reading defense is a little slow well let's see what happens in in game action against you know another team's defense a different scheme they're throwing at him let's see what Trey Lance can do I will say this though did you see Dieter Curtinbach's latest tweets from yesterday at practice
0: I don't know that I did
1: okay apparently Trey Lance had a little bit of a down day um, uh oh! Uh oh! Yeah, I know. And the wheels all are coming <laughs> off the Trey Lance hype train. <laughs> it sounds like Jimmy had a really good day, so it was like kind of hard to for Trey to have equally the amount of good day that Jimmy had. But it was apparently some so some slow reads as well from Trey and getting the ball out of his hand quickly enough against an NFL defense. Again, this is all. It's all seven on sevens. It's 11 on 11s. Like, let's see what happens when these kids get into game action, because, yes, it is preseason. But that's when they start to see a different defense throw in their direction. And then we'll start to be able to judge, I think, a little bit what maybe they can do in an NFL game.
0: Well, and really, I mean, let's see what happens when week one comes around and the Bears are starting Andy Dalton. Right. And look, no disrespect to Andy Dalton, but there's a there's a very low ceiling on what he's going to give you and i know i am not yeah i know as you as a cowboys fan you are well aware of it right i'm just not sure when you have a guy that you drafted in the first round on the bench how much Mm -hmm. patience are you really going to have with andy dalton how much patience is a rabid fan base in chicago and a rabid media going to have if you're if andy dalton is out there not performing not getting wins and you have Justin Fields sitting on the bench. That's just, that's not a tenable situation. And if things don't go really, really smoothly for Andy Dalton and the Bears offense out of the gate, I think it's going to be very difficult for that team to keep Fields on the bench for that long.
1: Well, and think about that fan base and how much they're trying to just grasp on some sort of quarterback to have faith yes. in going forward. Like, no offense to Jim McMahon. It was the defense that got that Bears a five yep. team to the Super Bowl. We we all we all know that we he was just basically good enough to get them there and to control that offense. So for a team that's looking at Justin Fields as the potential savior for their organization and to get them back to a Super Bowl, yeah, I can say those uh, those fans are going to be a little probably impatient. Uh, week one, the Bears do play Sunday Night Football against the Rams in Los Angeles. When I look at the San Francisco uh, lineup, they face they have a little bit easier. For First round matchup, they face Detroit in Detroit. So I guess the only thing is the time difference and the time change they're going to have to deal with in week one. One more segment to go here on Tool and Sermon. Get your texts in, 650-650. Elias Pedersen had some comments. We've got some texts coming in earlier in the show. Let us know, were you worried about what he said? Is it just uh, we're overreacting in the Vancouver market? Let us know, 650-650. We'll get to those texts coming up after the break. You're listening to Tool and Sermon with Jamie Dodd, in for Scott Rintool.
0: Now back to Rintoul and Sermon.
1: Had to let the beat drop, there, Jamie. Had to let the beat drop.
0: Absolutely.
1: This is this is one of the bands that I know. I've said it before on this show. Wasn't a fan of the Beastie Boys growing up, like in their prime when they were coming up with Intergalactic sure. and these songs, like. I was a fan of, like, the Backstreet Boys, okay? So, like, you know, you can kind of see where my musical <laughs> this interest... This wasn't in your
0: wheelhouse, yeah.
1: No, it wasn't. But as the older I've gotten, I really appreciate it a lot more. It was and the it's Big Shiny those... tunes
2: bump. The Big Shiny tunes bump <laughs> did
1: it for me. It's one of those bands that I'm just like, I wish... And I understand why they're never going to tour again with one of the brothers uh, passing away. But it's one of the bands where I'm like, ah, oh, dang, I wish I had seen them perform live. Because I think it'd be incredible to see these guys live.
0: I agree. I, uh, I'm a big Beastie Boys fan. I will say this song specifically is actually, uh, one of my three-year-old daughter's favorite songs. Uh, believe it or not. Yes. We were, we were driving home from somewhere once. And you know, there's this thing with kids where you want them to like fall asleep at the right times. So we were driving home somewhere and she was about to fall asleep in the car. We're like, no, 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 no. We don't want that. We want you right. to get home and then fall asleep. That'll be a lot easier for everyone. And so the solution we came up with, we had a, a Beastie Boys CD in the car and we popped in and played that song really loud to, to get yeah. her attention. And she thought it was the funniest thing she's ever heard. She calls it the robot song and she frequently requests <laughs> it uh, by name. So, yeah, it's, it's one of her favorite songs.
1: That's an amazing story. I didn't want my child to sleep, so I put on some Beastie Boys really, really loud, and now it's one of her favorites. And it
0: worked. It worked. She stayed awake the whole time home. It was great. If anything, it worked too well because it got her too excited and hyper.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't go to sleep immediately when she got home. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, The problems we have as – well, you have. I do not. As young adults or young parents, it's like, yeah, how do we try and keep our kid – awake when we don't want them to sleep because we need them to sleep overnight like was your daughter one of those ones where initially when she was born you had to put her in the car and drive her around so that she could fall asleep i did that
0: probably i don't know two or three times maybe it definitely like she definitely loved sleeping in the car and still does love sleeping in the car i don't know what it is about the car but yeah she she was into it but, yeah, we tried to avoid doing that too often because then it's like, oh, we have to do that every time. We have to do that every right. night to get her to the fall asleep. But there were definitely a couple of times kind of break glass in case of emergency where, yeah, I loaded her in the car seat and, and drove around the neighborhood right. a little
1: bit. So I wanted to ask you this before we talk a little bit about Elias Peterson. Are you one of those people that falls for the Twitter? Greg, you can weigh in on this, weigh in on this too. Like, when you see a tweet, like, without naming the song's name, Put a gif of the sure. song that was popular when you were born or stuff like that yeah do you, do you ever fall into those like I I, I, fall...
0: I don't know I I usually I'm not super active on Twitter anyway so I usually avoid those
1: okay well I I fell down that trap today uh and it was the name a name a movie sorry I gotta I gotta scroll to it post a movie you've seen more than five times no explanations and for me, it was Independence Day. Like, that's one of those movies that I see when it comes on TV. It's like, okay, I just have to watch it. No matter what part of it it is, it's like I know the lines. Well, probably not. Actually, I'm terrible at recollection. But, you know, it's one of those movies where it's like, ah, yes, I'm going to definitely watch that. On the weekend, my boyfriend decided that it, it, they were doing a born supremacy, born ultimatum, born identity marathon a couple of times, like, just retreating right. I can't tell you how many times I came around the corner into the living room and one of the Bourne movies was on TV. And it's always on TV when yes. it's on. He always put that on. Do you guys, Do you have one of those where it's just like, if it's on, I gotta watch it.
0: Oh man. I mean, there's a lot for sure. Um, one, I was just trying to think, you know, I saw the one you were talking about one you've seen more than five times, just thinking about the yep. movies I've seen the most in my life. I mean, star Wars would be up there. I was a huge star yeah. Wars fan growing up. So that, that one's not, that's not one that's on TV a lot, but just in terms of things I've seen a ton that yep. would have to be near the top of my list. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's just there's, Sometimes there's those movies where you're just like, yeah, I got to watch it. I did get stuck, and this kind of tells you where we're at with sports right now. The Olympics were over on Sunday. We watched a Steven Seagal movie. Wow. <laughs> oh, no,
0: wow. We, now that is desperate. Uh, wow. I, what one? What movie?
1: Uh, Hard to Kill was one of them. All right. That's the one where he gets killed, and then one of the cops finds out that he's actually alive, and they put him, and they him hiding away and he's in a coma for seven years he comes out of the coma and he's got to get revenge for the people that killed his family so there's that one a couple other ones i i don't know one was about him being a cop in brooklyn with the mob i can't recall sure but i mean these were the. they all run
0: together they all run together let's face it like
1: can i say there's a good steven seagal movie like these were the better ones i guess you want to say like his prime
0: yes okay yeah he definitely (laughs) had uh he definitely had a period where he's making more legitimate movies you know what yeah, I mean, I, and then it kind of devolved into even even worse. But yeah, I wouldn't say like <laughs> I wouldn't say the ones in his prime are great, but they're no. passable at least.
1: The one on the, the the one on the submarine, I think, is actually pretty decent as well. I'll watch that one when it comes on. Again, I don't know the title of these, but they are <laughs> Steven Seagal. The ste- from Steven there. Seagal the
0: submarine. What more do you need to know? Don't need the title. <laughs> you don't-
1: there's gonna be some martial arts, you know, and he's gonna kill a lot of people. Yep. It's, it's great. The premise is always the same for a Steven. Isn't Seagal he
2: still movie. making movies too? I think I saw oh, something. Oh yeah, absolutely. He's still going, like year after year, he's putting out multiple movies. Who are watching these new Steven <laughs> I Seagal <don't> movies?
1: <laughs> because back then those movies were terrible. Uh, you know what you were going to get, at least they were action and, you know, a little bit of romance here and there. There was a love interest in his life, but basically he was just going to go get revenge and kill people. That's all he was going to do. Uh, or yeah, save uh, the day. I can imagine to. Movies...
0: Uh, according to IMDB, he is currently in pre-production on oh, a goodness. movie called Above the Law 2. So there you go. He, so if, there for was all Above all you, the Law
1: 1. <laughs> yeah. I don't know
0: what that was, but if you were Above the Law super fan, uh, the sequel is coming from Steven Seagal. Oh.
1: And one of our texts, thank you, unsigned text, under siege. That was the one with the submarine. Yes, thank yes. You. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's move on to some more relevant stuff. Sorry, this stuff came to my mind. It's the dead of summer. I'm like, I'm going to talk about something else other than the Vancouver Canucks because um, Ellie's Petterson is making news, Jamie. We saw earlier today with the interview that he did with Ufa Bodine. Um, <laughs> it's just funny because when... Ian Mendes made a good point when we had him on in the 10 o'clock hour. He's like, it's August. We're kind of, you know, your star player who hasn't signed does an interview. And he says one thing that may be taken out of context or even, I'm not sure why it's taken out of context, but the whole, it's like, we have to grasp onto this because it's the only thing we can talk about right now.
0: Yeah. And it's also, you know, I've seen, we always make the comparisons between uh, the NHL off season and the NBA off season. And I mean, You know, this quote from Elias Pettersson, would it be in the top 50, you know, spiciest quotes in an NBA offseason, right, when you really drill it down and see what he's saying? But it's August and it's hockey. It's Elias Pettersson. It's the Canucks. So I do think it's worth talking about a little bit.
1: I do. And yes, we're going to talk about it because basically what I got from it was the fact that Elias Pettersson wants this team to be, he wants to be in Vancouver and he wants this team to be successful. And when he signs his next contract, not the one he's going to sign pen on paper this offseason, he wants to see if the team is going in the right direction. And I completely understand him with that. I do feel a little sorry for him. I don't think he maybe understands the um, implications that come with saying something like this as in the fact we're all dissecting it right now, and it's going to be dissected on the next show with Big and the Boss, and it's going to be dissected this afternoon on the People's Show, and other shows in this market are going to talk about it. There's going to be stories and articles written about it because that's this market, and that's probably any Canadian market. Like, if this is, I don't know, Leon Dreisaitl saying it in Edmonton. There's obviously going to be some stories written about it as well. But I do think like, oh, kid, you said it, which is fine. I'm totally fine with the comments. But there is the repercussions that come with it. And depending on what deal he signs, Jamie, like it's going to be a story start starting training camp. And I feel bad for him a little bit.
0: Well, and it's the kind of thing that yeah, I don't know if it's going to be a story as much as it's going to be a couple of questions. Right. And maybe depending on the answer to those questions then it becomes a more more of a story. But yeah, he's going to get asked about it. But I mean, if he signs a four-year deal and then comes to training camp and says, I'm committed to the Canucks and I'm really excited to be here, that's going to put that story to bed for a while yeah. anyways, right? And and so it's not as if it's going to blow up and get completely out of proportion and dominate training camp and dominate the early part of the season. No, but yeah, he's going to have to answer questions about it. Um, I do want to get this question in or this text in from Lady c six fifty six fifty. Uh, to the text message inbox, uh, she says, what's with the negativity? The interview was in Swedish. It's almost impossible to translate the nuance of a language. Petey wants to be a Canuck. He wants to be on a team that makes the playoffs every year. He wants to win the cup. That's the kind of competitive drive that you want from mm-hmm. your star player. So I will say, I understand the impor- the uh, the point about translations and how they can be tricky sometimes. Mm-hmm. In this case, the translation comes directly from the journalist, Ufe Bodin, yes. who's an extremely respected hockey journalist in Sweden he's bilingual we've had him on the station many times in the past to talk about hockey in Sweden so the fact that he's the one doing the translating I I completely understand the texter's point you do have to be careful but in this case it's coming directly from the source so we can be pretty confident that he's capturing the essence of what of what Petey is saying here but to the rest of the texter's point I mean I agree yes yes You do. You want your star player to have that kind of drive to be upfront about the fact that winning is very, very important to him. And I think if you're a Canucks fan, you probably even want a player who's willing to hold management's feet to the fire a little bit about it. Like, why wouldn't you want a star player who's going to push for the team to get better?
1: Yeah, uh, I'm with you on that. It's 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 one thing to want to get paid. It's another thing to. Understand. I'd rather have someone that says, yes, I'm more about winning. I want to win a Stanley Cup than someone says, oh, I'm just here to get my money. It, in, and to your point, when <laughs> talking about this is actually translated from uh, the reporter himself, who's who's bilingual, like he could have left it. He could have left the story and we could have had a Goran type of thing where right. somebody somebody finds the interview in Sweden, wants to translate themselves and grabs the line. Well, if we have a chance to win when my next deal expires, I don't know like literally could have grabbed that one sentence and put it out there and clickbait. And all of a sudden, Elias Petterson doesn't want to be in Vancouver long term. Like, that's the conversation we're having, yeah. right? So I, I do think it's in context, the fact that there was two answers put out there for us to see and to kind of give a little background on where Patterson was coming with his comments. Like, it's just not, no, he doesn't want to be in Vancouver. He's just saying, well, right now we're far apart on the deal. We're going to get a deal done. I'm optimistic that we're going to when it comes to the length of the deal. I'm not sure what we're gonna sign, but I do want to win a Stanley Cup and be part of a winning team. And when I sign my next one, we'll see where things goes. I think that's very fair that he has that opportunity, and he's he's entitled to have it. Like that's what people don't get. And I know people were throwing shade, like, well, what happened to loyalty? I did see that a couple times in the text message inbox, Jamie. Like, what happened to someone? I want someone who wants to be with my organization forever, like, win or lose. Yeah, but it's, it's the player's right. UFA means it's the player's right. You don't, just because the team drafted you, I'm pretty sure there is some loyalty, yes. But in the end, you kind of have to think about what you want is your, like, what's your angle going to be.
0: Frankly, I mean, I have no idea why a professional athlete would show loyalty to uh, their team. Like, because that's, it's never going to flow the other way, right? Yeah. If Elias Petterson scores 10 goals and has 20 points next year, guess what? The Canucks aren't going to show loyalty to him down the road, right? If his performance falls off the cliff, he's not getting any loyalty whatsoever. So I, I just, I have zero expectations and I would place zero demands on him to show loyalty going the other way. He owes, all he owes the Canucks is to show up and do his best. That's it. When he's under contract, that is all he owes. Owes them because they're not going to give him any loyalty going the other way.
1: I have to say this too. If we want to dissect Pedersen's quotes, we can dissect Quinn Hughes's uh, wake surfing. Uh, fans are ha, ha. curious in that he's apparently wake surfing with Trevor Zegras, member of the Anaheim Ducks. Talk about let's start the rumor about him being yeah he's going to to Anaheim. For, he's, going he's going to Anaheim. Anaheim. He's going to play with his American buddy in Anaheim. Yes, it looks like he's having a fun summer. I love these like these guys are allowed to have a little fun. Let's 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 just let them be. They're, they're young kids. Let's, let's just let them be. Hey, Greg, let's get to some notes and quotes.
3: Who's in the top six? Getting pucks out, getting pucks deep. Who's in the crease? Really none of your business. And who's in the press box? It's time for notes and quotes.
1: Uh, Jamie, I just got to scroll down here. I'm a little all over the place today. I apologize. Uh, one note that came in from the NHL. Well, a couple of notes that came in from the NHL, Winnipeg and Neil Pionk, another arbitration case, potential arbitration, um, conversation. They have avoided it. They've signed a four-year deal. Winnipeg has signed a four-year deal with him. It's an average of $5.875 million. He had, 54 games last season for the Jets he scored three goals adding 29 assists for 32 points he is 26 years old your assessment of just getting this deal done
0: well I think this is the kind of thing that if it had been announced a year ago people would have said oh man Neil Pionk got how much he got how much but you look in the context we got into this with Ian Mendes a little earlier in the show defenseman made a ton of money this summer Mm -hmm. right and you look at the context of Neil Pionk still in the prime of his career at twenty at twenty six. He's a right shot defenseman. He's been very effective since coming over to Winnipeg from New York. You know, he came over in the Jacob Truba deal. You could make an argument. He's been better than Jacob Truba. So I actually like this deal from a team perspective for Winnipeg. Yeah, some people might look at it and say, ah, that's still too rich for my blood, but Based on the market we're seeing for defensemen, this is a manageable term, a manageable cap hit. I think it's a good deal for the Jets. Their blue line, all of a sudden, you know, it was a major flaw for them last year. It's not perfect mm-hmm. by any stretch, but with a couple of the additions they've made, including Nate Schmidt, Brendan Dillon, as well, you know, keeping Neil Pionk in the fold, it's on the upswing for the Jets certainly.
1: Uh, Did you also see that the Edmonton Oilers are looking to upgrade their third pairing, maybe bringing back Slater Cuckoo? And a name that uh, Vancouver Canucks fans know very well, possibly bringing in veteran Jordy Ben, who was traded to Winnipeg last year. This is nothing like this is no sexy (laughs) signings for the Edmonton Oilers, but just bringing up a name that obviously fans here in the Vancouver market know a lot about. I found this interesting. Because the Team Canada had announced its coaching staff uh, for the Beijing Olympics. And the Trey Kroner, Kroner, sorry, I apologize to all the Swedish listeners that we have. Yes, Sweden is announcing that Nicholas Cronwell and Henrik Zetterberg have been named advisors to the 2022 Beijing Olympics team. Um, They're part of the Triple Gold Club, both of them. Uh, Jamie, both of them had incredible, incredible NHL careers, long NHL careers. Right now, Nick Cronwell obviously working as a senior advisor role to Stevie Y with the Red Wings. So he's got some managerial experience. Henrik Zetterberg, not exactly sure what he's doing right now. I was trying to find on his Wikipedia page. But if you want to talk about evaluating talent, he's obviously someone that can do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think any time, you know, you have the chance to add two players of, of that caliber. And, and the thing I like about it is you're not – putting them right to the top of the decision making tree right you're bringing them in as advisors and we've seen it in the past when you take just because someone's a a big name former player you don't want to invest all of the authority of your organization in them right away necessarily but going this route where you're saying hey you have a lot of knowledge come be advisors for us as our as our national team I think that makes a lot of sense
1: well, and think about Nick Cromwell. He looks to be on a path to being at some point probably a general manager in yeah. this organization, like or in in the league. Like he's a senior advisor to Stevie Y. We know the route that Stevie Y took. Advisor to Ken Holland. Also got you know. Uh, did a lot of work with Team Canada, Hockey Canada. So that's the route that Nick Cronwell is going. So I guess he's probably on the route to be at some point a general manager down the road. I did want to do this one. Dennis Schroeder update. Okay. I feel a little bad that I laughed about him yesterday because of the fact we talked about that he turned down $84 million to stay with LeBron James and the L.A. Lakers. The report yesterday was that, you know, it was hoping to be like a $9.5 yeah. million dollar deal. He signed with Boston for one year for the $5.9 million taxpayer mid-level exemption. Like, he actually has a title behind <laughs> his name yeah. for what he signed for. The taxpayer mid-level exemption. I don't know what that means, but whatever the case is, he only signed for $5.9 million. Your general rule of if someone puts $84 million in front of you, you should probably sign that. I'm
0: telling He's you. Still holds,
1: still holds true.
0: It's, it's an ironclad <laughs> rule. An ironclad rule. <laughs>
1: But it does suck for someone who's got a young family and he bet on himself and then the market just dried up. And this was the only thing that he could get. He's 28 years old, so he's not, I guess you could say he's probably towards the end of prime of his career. Maybe he can get another payday if he plays well with Boston. They do need someone of his skill set for that team. They lost Kemba Walker or they they traded Kemba Walker. Uh, He can be a complimentary scorer to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. But I do feel really bad for him because he's probably going, are you kidding me? Like, this is what happened?
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's really, really tough. Now, we should say, I think one of the reasons I'm comfortable having a little bit of fun with this, he's coming off a four-year $70 million deal, right? Yeah, so he's
1: got his money. Yeah, I like,
0: he, he's made a lot of money playing basketball. It's just, man, just, oh, just, can you imagine? You missed out on almost $80 million and it's not, you know, often when we see this when a player wants to go test free agency, maybe they're leaving a smaller market. There's something yep. wrong with the market they're leaving. No. I mean, this was LeBron and the Lakers. And you had a chance to be part of that. And you said yeah. no. And you're now you're out $78 million instead. Ooh, oh, that hurts.
1: That's, that's tough to swallow. It's tough to swallow. Uh, This one coming in from Vancouver Whitecaps. uh, I have to admit, I have not followed them a ton this season. It just, it's tough when they're, you know, playing in Salt Lake City and a ton of other stuff to uh, follow along. But I did find this note that, Lucas Cavallini, he's out for approximately six weeks after suffering a left knee injury in last Saturday's match against the LA Galaxy. Jamie, I took this. It sucks for the Caps. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. It absolutely sucks for the Caps. Uh, however, they're currently last in the division. They're fine, or in the conference, I guess. They're finally coming back home. They're playing a home game, actually, this Friday against San Jose. But I looked at a little bit bigger picture for Team Canada and those World Cup qualifying games, September 2nd, 5th, and 8th. Two in, B- or two in Toronto, one in Nashville against the United States. If, but the timeline sets up. If he's not a quick healer, he's not playing in those games.
0: Yeah. Now, the good thing is Canada has the depth up front to survive a uh, Lucas Cavallini going out, right? He wouldn't even necessarily, I don't think, be in their first choice starting 11 for those games. No. But... It's still, you know, when you're playing three games against good opponents in, in a span of about a week, which they are, you like to be able to rotate the squad a little bit. So it does hurt their depth. And, yeah, based on the reports we're hearing right now, it would be surprising if he's a part of that squad for those first few uh, qualifying games.
1: A couple of, just quickly, notes before we let you go, Jamie. You're going to be watching Blue Jays Anaheim. Oh, yeah. Tonight?
0: Absolutely, I am.
1: Yeah, you got they split the doubleheader yesterday. No Shohei Itani in the lineup tonight because he gets the start tomorrow, so he always gets the day off before he starts. So uh, we won't see him. Uh, I will say this. The Blue Jays held, held him to one for seven yesterday in the doubleheader, and they also struck him out with the bases loaded, bottom yeah. of the ninth. Like, who else would you want at the dish if you're that, Anaheim?
0: That was a nerve-wracking situation <laughs> for Jordan Romano to walk the number nine hitter to load the bases Team's up four, four four run lead going to the ninth. You feel pretty good about it. And then all of a sudden Shohei Otani is coming up as the tying run with the bases loaded. Thank goodness he got the strikeout because, yeah, that was, I was like, oh, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me here?
1: Right? No, it's it's good for the Jays. They did get the split. Uh, disappointing they didn't get both games, but, you know, hopefully they can win tonight and also win tomorrow quickly. Felix OJ Eliasim, straight sets, loss. Very disappointing for him in his first match at the National Bank Open. Dennis Shapovalov, if you want to watch something tonight, uh, he will be in, I believe, 4 o'clock, if I'm not mistaken, on center court against Francis Tiafo and Rebecca Moreno from Vancouver. Congratulations. She is moving on to the third round at this tournament tournament. Uh, I don't. I know it's the first time, Jamie, she's been in the third round at this tournament. I have to say, going back to prior to her retirement, first time around, this may be one of the best results she's had in a Masters 1000 event in her career.
0: Yeah, it's so great. It's awesome to see, and I hope she can keep it going this week.
1: Jamie, that's it for us. Four more hours in the book. Two more days to go for the end of the week. Uh... Greg Ballock, once again, I'll give you big ups today. You played some pretty good music, and you, I, I won't put the clips on you. I'll put those on Dom, so we can blame Doms for Maddie for that one. Uh, Josh Elliott-Wolf, thank you once again for producing our show. Jamie, as always, thank you so much for co-hosting with me today. I hope you have a wonderful afternoon. Enjoy the sunshine. I don't know if going for a walk is on your for the rest of the afternoon i'm going to i'm going
0: to enjoy sitting on the couch uh, in front of my fan that's what i'm awesome. going to enjoy doing for the next few hours
1: awesome you do that to our listeners try and stay cool out there this has been Rintoul and sermon with jamie dodd in for scott ritual